please open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 4. As we continue where we left off last two weeks ago. Last time I was here, we were just uh, finishing up the first part of a huge part of the section of chapter 3 and 4 that talks about Paul uh, doctrinally um, supporting and arguing, uh, presenting his case to doctrinally why uh, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we will see and we'll take part of chapter 4 today, verses 1 through 7. The title of, the, of our today is No Longer Slaves But Sons. There is a relationship change, a, a change that, that must take place um, in your lives. And we will see as Paul lines this out in his argument, legal argument, taking or this legal way of presenting. And he will continue to use some very simple illustration here for us to, uh, to make his point. So, again, many times we see these chapters, chapter 4, but we have to understand originally this letter didn't have chapters and verses. And this is a perfect example. The book of Galatians, you've heard me say it many times, it would be best not even have any chapters there in this book because it's just a continuation. And today is a exa- perfect example of that where, yes, we ended in chapter 3 and we're starting chapter 4, but it's really chapter 4 is tied to the last few verses of chapter 3. And we're going to read here verses 26 through 7 so you can see the, the full context and understanding of where Paul is continuing in his letter. And it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, but slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. These are powerful, powerful words written by Paul, given to him by God to understand for that time, but also for our time today. That as you take a look and we see what's happening, one of the tragedies we've been noticing here over the last part, of the first part of the letter that Paul is writing to the, the churches here in Galatia area, is that the tragedy of legalism. 
religiosity creeping back into the lives of those who were saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and how these Judaizers were coming into the area after Paul was leaving and spreading back into the minds of the people that they needed to do more than just give their life by faith and belief in Jesus Christ to be saved. And one of the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance to so many people then and today of the appearance of maturity. When in reality, when you start playing religiosity or putting on these rituals and traditions and and lighting of candles in this thing and sprinkling of water and all these things to create the mood and the experience that says if you do these things, you'll be drawing closer to God. But in actuality, as Paul is saying here, you actually become more immature when you do those things. It leads the believer back into this second childhood state of a Christian experience. And the Galatian Christians, like most believers, wanted to grow. They wanted to grow in their relationship with God. They wanted to go out for Christ but they were going about it the wrong way. Their experience is not too different from that of Christians today who get involved in the various legalistic movements in hopes of becoming better Christians. Their motives may be right, but their methods are so brothers and sisters, that God loves you. You can't earn his love. There's not a amount of things religiously you can do to earn more of his love. And those who do try to do that, this is the truth what Paul is trying to get across to these his beloved converts in Galatia. The Judaizers had bewitched them. They had come in and implanted these these very bad seeds, very bad information into their minds of doubts and understandings and saying, oh, you want to draw closer to God. Oh, that's so wonderful. You need to get circumcised to be able to do that. Oh, you you want to go deeper? You need to keep the dietary law. You must only can go to church on such and such day. You can only do, you must wear certain clothes. You must do these things. These subtleness that comes in to try in their flesh to draw closer to God and to, to feel like they're being closer and growing closer. See, the old flesh or the nature felt an attraction for the law because the law enabled them to do the things and measure external results so they could live by sight and not by faith. Oh, it give me the checklist so I know if I'm on track in pleasing God. Did I read my Bible every day? Did I pray every day? Did I do it this many times? Did I go to church this many times? And you keep track of things to try to draw this, this way of working your way to earning God's love. You cannot do that. That's doing it in the flesh. And having a checklist says, 
that could see and follow and work hard at following that checklist and to measure themselves and measure themselves against other people. And that's where that subtleness of pride, that self-righteousness starts creeping into our lives. Because we have this sense of accomplishment. And they were, they were desiring to grow, desiring to mature in their their understanding and their, their walk with God. And what was actually happening when Paul is warning them and warning us today is that you're actually regressing in your walk. You're actually taking steps back again. And so Paul here in, in these, listen, seven simple little verses kind of lines out this this word of adoption, this, this, new, this new relationship from being a slave to becoming a son. And we'll see in verses 1 through 3 where, where you know, we were once children in bondage. We were in bondage to the law. And then we'll see in verses 4 and 5 where what God did for us by redeeming us. And we'll, we are now and today as we are and we stand in faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, we are now sons and heirs of the Most High. It's simple, but what profound information for us today. In verse 1, we notice here, Paul says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under the guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So Paul sits here and he gives an illustration for you and I of the spiritual immaturity of those who live under that Mosaic law, that they think that they can just keep track of what they're doing under the law and can prove that they've done everything to the T that somehow they have earned God's love. But in actuality, it becomes such a curse as we've seen in earlier part of Galatians. It becomes a curse. It becomes a weight. It becomes a, such a, a load on their shoulders, a burden that they cannot bear, let alone keep. And in actuality, every time they could not keep that law, there's such burden, such weight becomes upon them. And they question, oh, God is going to smite me if I, because I missed my prayer time. Or he's going to not be happy with me because I didn't make it to church. Or I didn't do this or I didn't do that and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. But Paul reminded the Galatian believers of certain characteristics of an heir as a minor child. The word child here in the scriptures is an idea of minor. It's a state where, yes, you're in the family, you're, 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 you have a father, you, you have a relationship, but you're so young, you're so immature, you're, you're just starting your, your growth period in time and in in, in, in understanding. And during this culture, we know as it, wasn't it didn't describe a certain specific age, but rather someone who is not yet legally recognized as an adult. So when you think of the Jewish faith at that time, there's bar mitzvah. When you turned 13, there was a very specific time and a specific way, and they celebrated. 
the Grecian culture also, they had a define of coming of age ceremonies when the boy stopped becoming a child and now is recognized as a man and the legal rights of, as, as an heir of that boy, that child. In the Roman culture, and keep in mind that's who we're speaking to, that he's writing to, is that Roman culture where the Roman custom was no specific age for that son to become a man, but it happened when the father thought the boy was ready and, in, and was mature to a point of manhood, then would then recognize that he is now a man. And that he would then receive this special toga that he would then wear from that point on. And people would recognize that he is now considered a man in that culture. And then they would have a very special ceremony to recognize so that people could celebrate the maturity and the growth and the, and the, the arriving as a man during that time. But the father would determine the timing for that particular son. So I believe that's what exactly what Paul was saying to this culture and the people who were reading is that your father knew when the time would come, the fulfillment of the perfect timing of when his purpose and his will will be done. As we will see this play out, you'll see it as he'll say here, until the time is appointed by the father, Paul is, is clearly communicating there that as he lays this out, as long as he is a child, does not differ from all from a slave. Because as a child, as a minor, you had no rights in that Roman family. You were actually had less rights and less freedom than the actual slave or the servant of that family. Those guardians would watch that child day and night and make sure he as his person was taken to the tutor appropriately, trained up, questioned, monitored. That boy couldn't breathe without that guardian knowing. Because that guardian was told, you better make sure nothing happens to that child. So those guardians were appointed, as Paul says here, to watch over his person, that person, that child. The stewards who protected that child's estate, the interest of that child. Because at this point, he could not take on responsibility. He was still too young. He was still maturing. He was still growing. The father has not determined yet it is time for it to all come to about to where he becomes a child, uh, as an adult. But it still was all in his, his inheritance. As a minor, it was all his. If you're a Rockefeller, when you were born as a Rockefeller, you had the heir in front of you. That was all going to be yours someday, but it wasn't there yet. You were still a young child. You can't write the checks. You just can't show up at the bank and think you're going to pull, pull your millions here. And I think you should remind your children today, just because you're a child doesn't mean you get to go into dad and mom's bank accounts and pull the money when ask for money, whatever you want. That's not how it works. <laughs> you, you, you have to ask for everything, and we'll determine if you're going to get it or not. You can't demand it. You're not of age yet. You still have to be trained up. You don't get your inheritance. It's not time yet. 
though this, this son or daughter had this birthright, he owned the whole estate, but nevertheless he was kept in subservient conditions like a slave. He didn't enjoy freedom yet. He could not make decisions yet. Because it had not come to a point where the father looked at that son and said, you are now, son, mature enough to give you your freedom and to give you the responsibility to make decisions. And I think that is so true today in parenting. I, I believe what I am experiencing and watching and you're seeing is parents giving to children more responsibility and say in their lives at a too early of an age. There's not boundaries on them long enough until you as a father who is spiritually responsible for your children to look at that child and say, now he or she is responsible to take on additional responsibility and to give them that freedom. Parents say, well, you know, to, to see a young child at five and six carrying their own cell phone, and have their fingertips to the world and everything that's in it, all ugly, good, bad, and allow that child until they're responsible to have something of that much power is insanity to me. I just want to make that clear. Because you'll reap what is sown into those child's minds. And that is what we're experiencing across this world now with this plethora of information available to them at an age where they cannot handle and cannot make discernment and decisions of themselves. So I encourage you, seek the Lord on those things and make sure you have appropriate boundaries uh, on your children until they come to an age where it is their maturity to do that. And he continues in verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So he sits here and says, okay, it's like a child. These child's born, they're like a slave. They have no freedom. They don't make decisions. They just do what the master, the father, says to do. They don't have a say. I don't want to go there. What do you mean? Get yourself in the car. We're going. You don't have a say in these things. You're, you're going. Sit and all. We'll, we'll discipline that too. I mean, that's not a problem. All right? We can handle this. But get in the car. But he had a suit under control. And as we see here, Paul is saying, we were just like these children. They were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now he comes to this comparison to our spiritual condition here. We are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We learn that in Galatians 3.26. We are heirs according to God's promise. God's promise. Galatians 3.29. The law was our guardian. The law put a guard, put boundaries on us. This is what you can or cannot do for your safety and for your purpose and for your growth. That is in Galatians 24, uh, chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Now he says, now watch over us when we were still children. Those are the watch over because we're still growing. We're still maturing. But then Paul is saying, so now when the Judaizers, these guys come in and lead these Galatian believers back into legalism, they were leading them not only into religious bondage, but they were also bringing them into moral and spiritual infancy and in, in, in maturity. 
They were telling them, you don't live by faith. Go and live by sight. You don't live by the word of God. You go by your feelings. You don't trust in the promises of God that he's shown you. You're going and leaning on your own understanding and leaning on the promises of men and women. That is so immature. That is not how you live as a child of God. That is not how you live. You don't live by the elements of this world and dictate how you're going to live and where you're going to go and how you're going to live. You are to surrender your life and to live by faith according to how he directs your steps. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Lean not on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your steps. That is how we're to live our life as Christians. But these legalisms, trying to bring him in is, it to, 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 is not to take a step to maturity, but to, to bring him into childhood and to back into bondage. The question is why? Why would someone of a religious entity come in and try to, uh, to sow into you legalism, bring you back into bondage to help you become more immature about your, 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 your position in Christ? is because they have an alternative motive to have you be in bondage to them. That's why they do it. They want to have control over them. And what you and I must understand is that the whole purpose of the law was to bring a person to Christ. That was the whole purpose of the law. To show you and I and them the spiritual bankruptcy and how much we needed a Savior. That you can't keep the law. You're not perfect. And how desperately you need a Savior. Someone to lord over your life, to, to, to direct your life in according to what is good and right. Because this world is going to take you a different direction. Your flesh is going to take you a different direction. who were unprincipled people. If you're unprincipled, you, you have to have the law because you're out of control. Because you get become so selfish and so controlling that we can, we can find ourselves if we don't have some boundaries, we just, we'll, we'll just Go out of control. But as Paul continues, he brings the law and he brings us the fact that these elements of the world are just going to bring you in bondage. And as a, as a son or as a daughter of his, that is not how we are to live. We're no longer a slave, but a son. simplicity of the gospel to believe in Jesus Christ with all of your heart and he will save you. To truly put your trust and faith in him. And then he will then dwell within us. To literally to know the spirit of, 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 of God to come in and to seal us for eternity. 
to write the law on our hearts, to write his desires, his will on our hearts, and to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do that work, to fulfill his desires and his will that he's called us to. Not your will. This is the transformation that you and I will see in a life that has surrendered and been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. That your will no longer is important. That you're just seeking after the Lord and saying, Lord, etch your will on my heart. Etch your desires in my heart. I am willing to go and do whatever you're asking me to do. There's no boundaries I'm setting on. I'm surrendered to you. I'm no longer. I just want to be obedient to you, Father, of what you have for me. I know it's a good, because you're a good, good Father. But if you are choosing to practice, to live in sin then you are not a child of God because it's not the nature of a son or a daughter of God to live and practice sin. But one of surrender practices. Paul applied this illustration in order to show the contrast between a believer's former position as a slave to what we are now as a son or daughter and what they are to enjoy today. Because living as a slave is really living living as an immature child. And living based on the principles of or elements of this world and not on the truth of God. Now he continues here in verse 4, but... And I always love the word but because but God usually then changes everything, doesn't it? Oh no, I'm in the elements of the world. I'm struggling. Oh, what, what, am I in the right standing of God? Am I? But God. And I love this with Paul because he says in verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Paul right here in verse 4 says the idea behind this phrase of fullness of time is when the time was just perfect. When the time was just right. And, and, and you know what's amazing sometimes? I forget that God is perfect. And God's timing is perfect. And God's ways are perfect. And God's methodology is perfect. And how he does and orchestrates things that are just blowing your mind because you say to yourself, that will never happen. But when God's perfect way is that way, it's good, it's right. So Paul, I mean, God is saying here, I have a perfect time when I'm going to bring my son into the picture. Now think about at the time historically. The Roman world was this, was this great expectation. Rome was controlling everything. Peace was actually across the known world at that time because they were running it in such a tight fist that nothing was going to get away with what they said was to work and not work at that time. But with that, 
take control of that government, which when then they said, we'll take all the money, and they started building an infrastructure called road systems that went throughout the whole rural system. It made it easier for traveling. The Grecian culture came in, the language came in, it started to permeate across us because there was such movement of people now across the known world. Now there was a commonality of communication. How perfect for God to orchestrate those things that the government thought they had control over when it was actually God orchestrating and moving things to have his will be done, which means to have a place because once the, gov- the government had control, you know as well as I do, historically, people were under the iron fist of the Roman government. You could die for going against the Roman government. So because of the, the simplicity and because of that time, that Pax Romania, t- time of the civilization here on this earth, travel was going, commerce was going, everything was going, people were going around. But the the oppression and the things that were taking place during that time was what? Old religions were dying out. Old philosophies were empty and powerless to change men's lives. Strange new mystery religions were invading into the empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were ever so clear because it had gotten so dark in the Roman Empire. People across the board, regardless if you were Jewish or you were, you were a Roman uh, citizen, a Grecian, if you're a pagan, they were all looking for some deliver out of the, uh, the Roman grip of the day. Perfect condition. God to say, now is the time to bring my salvation. And it's perfect when you look at the overall factor. Because the society had sunk in such moral abyss that was so low, so hunger for for truth and hunger for freedom and hunger for the spiritual truth. That was perfect time for the coming of Christ. We also know by Scripture it was perfect time because according to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, the 483-year prophecy by Daniel was drawing very close. So God's perfect timing of fulfilling Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was an appointed time by the Father. Perfect timing on the part of God. Jesus came in the fullness of time, as Paul recognized. And just keep in mind, and keep in mind, that when the Father sent his Son at the perfect time, we know by the Scripture that the Son is coming again when the time is perfect take his bride to heaven. Amen? It's a guarantee. It's a sure thing. And soon and very soon, as we watch and see things take place in our society today. See, Jesus came not only as God's son, but if you see here, Paul said, but also as one born of a woman. 
born under the law. See, the eternal Son of God in heaven added humanity to his deity and became man. He was born in the womb of a woman. During this time of society born under the law that God had given us. Paul does not say here that Christ was born of man and woman, but only of woman. God marks it very clearly and factually that the divine intervention intervention brought hope and freedom of mankind. Because as human fathers chose the time as a child to become an adult son, so the heavenly father chose the time for the coming of Christ to make provision for people's transition from the bondage of the law to the spiritual sonship relationship. And it was then that God sent his son, the pre-existing one, out of heaven to earth on a mission. That mission was the son was not only deity, but he was also humanity as the expression here born of a woman indicates. And that brings as clear as can be back into the gospels, such as Matthew 1.18, speaking to Jesus' mother's harmonizing with the doctrine of the virgin birth as taught in the Gospels. That's why he referenced woman and not born of man and woman. But not only that, but also Christ was born under, under law. And as a Jew, as Jesus was raised in a Jewish family, he kept the law perfectly and fulfilled it to the law, we see that reference in Matthew 5.17. And he finally paid its curse on the tree that we saw in Galatians 3.13. Perfect fulfillment in perfect time according to God's perfect will. Why did he do it? Well, Paul set, shows us clearly what that is in verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So the first reason why God sent his son is to redeem those under the law. This is not a redemption from the curse of the law, but from the slavery of the law. And since Christ redeemed us and set us, those who are under the law, free, why should Gentile converts now wish to be placed underneath it? Paul is saying, why would you be so tricked and bewitched into thinking that here God sent his son to relieve you of this law and to bring in a personal relationship? Because remember, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not because it's a a relationship with a religion, but a relationship with him personally. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. So Paul is saying, why would you take on these religious religious rituals and methods, as we will see later on next week, five-day rituals, the, the yearly, the monthly things? Why are you taking all those on, thinking that's going to help you when I'm actually come to free you from that? I've come to redeem you. I've come to purchase you. 
out of the slave market from our bondage to sin and the elements of the world. I've come to redeem you or purchase you and bring you out. Because remember, during that period of time, as we said earlier in 3.13 of Galatians, to set free by paying a price. Why was that important for him to communicate this? Well, there was about 60 million slaves in that area at that time. So it spoke to him very clearly. When you went in to purchase a slave, there was only two reasons why you would purchase them. Purchase the one to bring them into bondage to work or purchase a slave to bring them to set them free. He's saying God the Father sent his son to come to purchase you, to set you free, not to bring you into bondage, but to set you free from the sin, to set you, to set you free from the, sin, the, the, the law, to redeem you. The second reason he gives is that Christ's incarnation and death secured for believers the full rights of sons. Adoption. And all the enjoyment and the privileges of a mature son and a family belong to those who have entered in the benefits of Christ's redemptive work. You're no longer children. When you're adopted into the family, you're adopted in as a, an adult with full rights. Full enjoyments and the privileges of an adult heir. Not as a child, an immature child that you cannot touch anything because you're like a slave, but now you're a son. You're a daughter. You have an adult and the ability to, to freely receive from God the Father all your inheritances. Because he did not purchase us to, us as slaves, but he purchased us to become sons. Under the law, the Jews were mere children, but under grace, the believer is a son of God with an adult standing in God's presence. Can you imagine? You reach, you're walking on the street, and you see someone. To, to sit there and see that young man about to die and you save that young man. But then you turn around and you realize that young man is homeless. No family. No privileges. No directions. Just wandering the streets. The elements of the world, you can see it all over him. then you turn around and say, I'm going to adopt you to myself. And you will have all the privileges, all the rights that this family has. What do you think you lost? Your day is now gone. Do you realize you as a homeless son or daughter 
that God came and saved, and now you're being adopted into the family of the Father, son and daughter, beloved child, thank you. among the blessings of a Christian experience is this adoption. Because we don't enter God's family by adoption the way a homeless child would enter a loving family in our own society. But the only way to get into God's family is by regeneration, being born again. And we see that in John 3.3. You must be born again. You must be regenerated. You must have had the Holy Spirit do a change in your life that is causes you to change within the heart. The New, Te- New Testament word for adoption means to place as an adult child. It has to do with our standing in the family of God. We are not little children, but adult sons with all the privileges. But every child of God is automatically placed into the family as a son. And as a son, he has all the legal rights and privileges of the son. See, when a sinner trusts Christ to be saved, as far as his condition at that point in time, he is a spiritual babe who needs to grow. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Must grow. But as far as his position is concerned, you and I's condition, uh, con- uh, position, he is an adult son who can draw on the father's wealth and who can exercise all the wonderful privileges of the sonship. We enter God's family by regeneration. But we enjoy God's family by adoption. The Christian, you and I, do not have to wait to begin enjoying the spiritual riches he has in Christ. So many times I hear, Pastor, I can't do anything. I'm so brand new in the the faith. I I don't know. I can't do anything. God's not going to let me do it. You have to understand, yes, you will need to grow in understanding of who your father is and, and grow and mature in that aspect. But you're, of all, you're, if you die today, you have all that you're an heir of the, of, the, of the kingdom. So let's live it. We live it now. Let's enjoy what God has for us and just, just live for him and praise him and enjoy what God has for you. that's why in verse 6 he says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, God just doesn't bring you in an adoption into the family, but he actually empowers you. He actually has sent forth his spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, 
into your hearts and my hearts to be able to come able to cry out, not keep it quiet, but cry out, Abba, Father. Intimacy. Relationship. That is what God wants for you and I. For us to come to him and cry out to him in sincerity, like a child, like a person who has an earthly father, they'll cry, Dad, 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 I want to, I need to talk to you, Dad. Mom, can you tell Dad to listen? No. But, but that intimate that, that relationship, Dad, I need to talk to you. That's what our Heavenly Father wants that relationship once again. challenge I see so many times in our culture is that so many of us didn't have a good earthly father. We didn't have a father that we could come to and just say, Abba. And that you wouldn't be judged, that you would have listening ears and wisdom from above that would guide your sons to do and to to bring them to Christ and to encourage them in the relationship with the Father, to learn and grow and understanding through by the word of God, to know what to do and not to do. And so you're sitting here and you're saying, you, have, you need a relationship with your Father, a Heavenly Father like this, a daddy kind of relationship, not in a disrespectful way. You don't sit there and say, hey, the big man up, front, up, up, up there and me, we're tight. We, we don't. No, it's not a disrespectful way in, at all but a reverence of, of the position of knowing who he is. And but so many times we take our earthly father or our mother and we put them in a position where how can I have a relationship with dad because dad failed me so terribly. If I came to my dad, he would just get so angry. I can't go to my heavenly father. I, I don't want, I couldn't face if I did that. You and I need to understand that's not our Heavenly Father. Our loving, good Father is ready and willing and desires to hear from our children. He waits for us to do that. That's God's pure love in that you would come first to him. And that's what Paul is saying here. We're sons. We're not slaves. 
slaves could not come into the father's uh, office and say anything. But the sons have free access to come to the father directly and say, Daddy, I need your help. Daddy, I want to share with you the highest of moments and the peak mountaintop experiences, and I want to share with you the most lowest points of my life. And your heavenly father's right there listening. That's listening. That's the pride of our hearts that leads to death. And that's why Paul here would say, for therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so Paul concludes here. Paul declares here to the Galatians. We're no longer slaves. You are sons and daughters of the heirs of the Most High. I just said in plurality in verse 6, he says, they, where everything was plural, but here in verse 7, it's singular form to show that it is a personal relationship. It is a personal application to you as the reader here, then, and now. It's a direct and personal call. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. You are part of God's family. A sonship carries with it an heirship. Remember the, the, the illustration Jesus gave, the prodigal son? You remember what happened with the prodigal son? He had a relationship with dad. He got home. He was enjoying the family blessings. But then he chose what? He came of age. Did he not? The father says, you are now at the age of the son, of adult son, here is your inheritance. It's available to you. And what did the son do? He chose to take his inheritance immediately. And what did he do with it? And he had all the rights to do it. Even dad gave it to him. And what did he do? He went into the elements of the world. everything that the world offers to be partaker of. And what happened? He let it go. Not only did he lose everything, he just spiraled right further down into the pig cycle. And he finally came to a, put, it, put it in a position in his mind. He says, this is, what did I do? What happened? And he chose to go back home to the father. But did he go back as a son of that father? His mind said, I'd rather be a slave in my father's house than a son. And we know the story. The prodigal son did come home. He came back to his father expecting just going to be a slave and I'm beyond that. That's good enough for me. 
better than to not be the one to bring the baby. But the father refused and would only receive him as a son. You were once restless. God came and purchased, redeemed you. You were like a slave, young child, growing in maturity. But your position is you're still a son. You were adopted into God's family. Paul is saying, don't go back and pick up the religiosity, the law, the elements of this world, and live like a slave. Like the father of the prodigal son, you're a son. You're a daughter of God. Walk away from that thing and just see your position as God the Father sees you as a son. Remember, when you gave your life to Christ, His Son, the Spirit of His Son, we see in the Scripture, came inside you. And when you speak, what does your heavenly Father hear from you? but the voice of his son who lives inside you. When you lift your voices in singing, he hears you. His, he hears his son. When you call out and you're talking and interceding and praying and stuff, he hears his son from you. The spirit speaks through He sees the new nature of his son and sees him within you. What a wonderful place. You and I must see how the heavenly father sees you. Not your past. Not your old nature. But the new nature he has wrapped around you. Because you have inherited God's inheritance. You have inherited, deep into the scripture study, an heir of God. That is an incredible inheritance. What an incredible picture we have to go and be fathers to a future son. same nature as the father. The slave does not. The son has a father while the slave has a master. The son obeys out of love while the slave obeys out of fear. The son is rich while the slave is poor and the son has a future while the slave does not. And we must understand 